Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to have on today Sam Glazer, who is a newly minted author, uh, but a very well-known composer and musician. Now, this was an absolutely phenomenal interview. He he spoke about the main principles of his book uh, called The Joy of Judaism, which speaks about, you guessed it, the joy of Judaism, but specifically why be Jewish, what's the value there, how do you connect spiritually the the importance of fitting in, the importance of not fitting in, the ability to take responsibility for your own spiritual connection. So tons of valuable stuff there. But then also amazing was we went into what the spirit, the creative process is for him, how he hears the songs in his head, how he connects the the words that to the, the music that just comes to him. It's really cool. And then there was a crucial lesson at the end about how to kind of find your own uh, brilliance, your own brilliant space, and and what that looks like. So, with no further ado, I'm thrilled to have on Sam Glazer. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, Lift Your Legacy is committed to helping you live a more authentic and meaningful life. That being said, if I could ask you to share this podcast with someone that you think would get value from the message that would be fantastic. In addition, I wanted to make you aware that along with the podcast, I do offer executive coaching. I help people who are successful and highly motivated, who want to see extreme, or not even so extreme, maybe just a small change that in their life. I wanna help them get to the next level. What does that mean specifically? Creating more peace in your relationships, with yourself, growing your business, clarifying your career. And even if you need a little bit of help losing some weight or getting more healthy, I do that also. I'm not for everyone, but for those people that are invested in making their life better and taking the next step, I highly recommend you consider me as a coach for you. Now, How do you get in touch? Well, you found the podcast. I wanted to tell you also my email, Jacob, my first name, jacob at liftyourlegacy.live. Feel free, please, to reach out there or on any or all of my social media channels. I'd be thrilled to give you a complimentary half an hour conversation to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And now, with no further ado, I ask you to please sit back and enjoy the show. I am so thrilled to be joined today with Sam Glazer, who is, in addition to a world-renowned musician, now an accomplished author, um, whose book, The Joy of Judaism, just came out. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. An honor. Thank you. So what's, what's, what's your story? I, I, lo- I love the backstory. Let's, let's get into it a little bit. Tell, tell the listeners and the viewers how you came to where you are, the role that music has played into your life, and why you felt the best thing would be to uh, write a book at this juncture. Okay, so um, working backwards, I'm trying to figure out if writing a book was a good idea. <laughs> Says everyone that wrote a book. <laughs> and um, no, I got into this business because uh, I was born into a uh, Jewishly aware and enthusiastic family. 
I think that's number one. And I'm grateful to my parents for creating a, um, a positive environment, a nurturing environment, an environment of uh, Zionism and uh, uh, music. And we weren't necessarily religious, you know, didn't go to the synagogue other than high holidays, didn't keep kosher, um, but knew we were Jewish, loved being Jewish. Um, we were told by our father that if we uh, married out of the tribe, we'd be cut out of the will. Okay, there you go. And that was, that was when we were young enough to have no idea what he was talking about. And so uh, that just sort of morphed into uh, between my Jewish education and Hebrew school, having a bar mitzvah at a uh, big conservative synagogue here, Sinai in Los Angeles, um, to going to Ulpan in Israel, um, having the opportunity to do the Brandeis Bardeen experience when I was in my 20s during college. Um, and then it culminated in uh, my mid-20s, I went to a, a yeshiva in Jerusalem for the first time, when it was all expenses paid, kind of check out Israel for free and do some learning. And I was absolutely taken. And I think what really grabbed me was that there was more to my Judaism than just uh, this cultural love of people. Um, which, is, which is interesting because for so many people, that's what they think the best part of Judaism is. And to an extent, you know, that there is a tremendous value there. But a lot of times the not appreciating that it's more than that is what holds people back. Right. And I saw what had formerly, um, I had believed was uh, burdensome or uh, not necessarily, it was for other people, not necessarily people like me, um, was uh, connecting deeply with uh, mitzvot. And through that exploration, I recognized that I don't want another moment to go by before Klal Yisrael, before my peers and uh, my peers' children, the next generation, has the chance to actively investigate their heritage because I see it truly as the connecting point of uh, our nishamot, of our souls, and the source of such abundance. Um, so I chose to title my book, The Joy of Judaism. And nine years ago, I started writing. I was on the elliptical trainer with who was a guy who was then the publisher of Moment Magazine. Um, they had put a few of my pieces in. I've always enjoyed writing. Um, and uh, he said, look, Sam, you're a writer in addition to being a composer and performer, and you should be writing stuff to inspire the various rabbis and teachers of all denominations that somehow have um, enjoyed your music and have brought you into their classrooms and worship and whatever. Um, That's you have crazy. So, wait, I got I to gotta stop you. So right away, he said, don't go to the people, go to the rabbis and the educators. Right. Why? He wanted, me, he wanted me to write things that would inspire their lesson plans. Okay. Um, and inspire their sermons. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I guess he felt like through the teachers and through clergy, um, I could have a tremendous impact. What, because what do, you think, what do you think your perspective specifically is? It's, inter it's, it's a very interesting thing. What about your perspective do you feel that is missing in the sense that 
you know, you, you're writing a book. There's, there's, you know, of all the, of all the people who have lots of books, Jews have lots of books. We've been writing books for thousands of years. And so yeah. there's a piece that was missing that your book is coming to fill and a perspective that is not being represented. What, right. what is that? And why is that so important? There you are. Okay, good. I got you back. Um, what is a unique about my perspective? My perspective is totally unique. And it's not just a marketing point. I mean, I have a really weird perspective. I go to uh, uh, an annual average of 50 cities a year around the world to Jewish communities. I'm a total vagabond. My children have grown up seeing me leave every other weekend to lead Shabbatons and programs of various sorts, uh, college things at Hillel campuses, nifty conventions. I mean, really the whole gamut that one could imagine, I'm playing for Hasidim in Borough Park, I'm doing the Asia Torah Partners Conference, I do the GA, I've done biennial several times, I do the conference uh, known as CAGE, Coalition for Advancement in Jewish Education, every year for 26 years now. I have a really weird perspective on things. Um, and I think that I also feel a sense of urgency about the need for connection and continuity that I think other people don't quite get because they live in their own bubble, maybe where everything's going great in their community, or maybe where they see that everything's going to pot and they're merging with their neighbor and they're losing their Hebrew school and now everything's gonna happen, you know, somewhere else outside of their building because their building's being sold what and their cantor just got laid off. So no, so I, I love that. I mean, I don't love that. It's obviously we're, we're, we're looking at a, a massive shift in the Jewish world, but the, the, the question of, of this, talk to me about the connection. What is, what is the connection and why is it so urgent? Um, well, it's urgent because we are in a spiritual velvet holocaust right now. Talk to me. I live in Beverly Wood. That's yes, the next yes. suburb down from Beverly Hills. Our two neighborhoods are bisected by Pico Boulevard. We have 50 synagogues within one mile of my home. We have over 50 kosher restaurants. You wouldn't come to Pico Robertson and think anything was wrong. In fact, you'd think, what a remarkable flourishing of Jewish life. But nearly everywhere else I go, as you know, that's not the story. That's not what we see. So there's an urgency. Um, Shlomo Karlbach put it really well in saying that worrying, he was being told by Chabad that he couldn't perform for mixed audiences at the beginning of his career. And his reaction was, that's like giving a manicure to a cardiac victim. Someone having a heart attack, you put paddles on his chest and shock the living you-know-what out of him. We are in a situation of urgency. I feel it because I'm on the front lines. So... I felt like, well, this is what I can do. I already am singing. I'm already performing. I'm on planes all the time. I'm leaving again this Sunday. But maybe I can do more. So writing 2,500 words a month 
and filling out this 70 chapters. I laid out 70 different ways that the Jewish people can bring joy into their lives. So that's, um, that's amazing. So, so what, if I can repeat back what, I, what I'm hearing you say, yeah. is that the urgency is because we, there, it, people, people are suffering. I, I think that that's, that's fairly par for the course. And the, the, the better the world gets, the more we don't understand why we're suffering because things are so good. But people, right, yeah, we don't, we don't feel it. We don't know it. Right. And so we're, we're longing for connection. And, you know, one of the cool parts about being in L.A. and being in Beverly Wood and being in all of these areas, in addition to the kosher restaurants, in addition to the, the synagogues, I think that there's a tremendous movement in, call it the arts community, which is now becoming so prevalent in our society, of searching for meaning and searching for the bigger picture. But it's not that idea of the mitzvahs and the idea of the connection of bringing this into your life in a practical sense, I feel like that, that is a message that people are looking for and they're longing for, and it's really not there. Right, and you know what? It's not, our, our ability to connect is not rocket science. We don't have to reinvent the wheel here. We've been doing this for 3,000 years. Every generation gets the chance to opt in. We're all Jews by choice. So we don't have to rewrite the manual. It's called the Torah. We just celebrated Simcha Torah and danced around the room with our owner's manual, with our user's guide. Do, so to what extent does, does, does fitting in matter? And I'm, and I'm going to ask it across the board because, you know, there's on one side of, I, I, you know, it's very hard to put spectrums and scales, but, you know, on, on different Jewish communities, but, you know, one of the, one critique is that, that I heard from someone out in, in, in our community is that, you know, politics has become such a major, you know, component that he doesn't want the politics to, to go into the shul. And yeah. if I don't agree with the politics of the rabbi or the movement, you know, like, how do I fit in? On the flip side, you have, you know, in, in, in more observant Jewish communities, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, how you look or the color of your shirt or the size of your hat, you know, it's, or like you said, like, you know, like performing for a mixed audience, like there's such a need, no matter where you are, to kind of fit in. Yeah. How that, I feel like we, we have a desire to make things really complicated because we have to learn all the party lines. But on the flip side, what we're really looking for is this, is this connection. So how do you kind of cut through what isn't the main part and focus on the heart? Right. Good question. Um, First of all, we're commanded in Pirkei Avot to not separate ourselves from community. We need community. There's value to peer pressure. So I joined a community where I'm not quite as, you know, religious, quote unquote, as maybe some of the other people that I'm surrounded with when I go to the synagogue. But I like to be uplifted. So some people see that as like, well, I don't want pressure or I don't want anybody judging me or that's a good thing. We want judgment. You know, we go to the synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment to be judged. Similarly, we go find self-help coaches, professional success coaches. We have consultants come into our businesses. We want to improve. We want to do better. So judgment and peer pressure is a good thing. 
But what my book is more exploring, I do this because I have a whole section. There's 10 sections um, divided into 70 chapters. And one of the sections is called uh, Organized Judaism. And it's how one finds themselves in the great picture of Jewish practice. And um, we could talk about that all day. But the bottom line is that all that group stuff is important. But what's more important is your own personal relationship with the creator of the world. So however you want to call that, the new world order or the force, if you're a Star Wars fan, whatever you want to call that entity, that being, that desire we have for goodness, that drive towards perfection, the force we have inside of ourselves that's seeking happiness, that we feel entitled to a good life. Where did that come from? You know, explain that from a Darwinian perspective. We have a soul. We have some inner need to, to connect and this book is about exploring the macrocosm of Jewish life, rituals, holidays, life cycle events, parenting, what have you, and finding where you fit in. And then making sure that your personal avodah, your personal work, spiritual work, um, is being done. And you're not trying to farm out the heavy lifting to clergy. So we can't count on our communities to bring us up. We have to do it ourselves. They so will help us. So, so that, that's, that's amazing. So, so the, the, fir the first point, which, which I wanted to reiterate for, for our listeners that I, I, I think is, you can't overstate, is this idea that, that while we might feel, you know, comfortable going into a gym and, and, and hiring a personal trainer or getting a consultant or a coach or like, we're fine with that. And you're right, the judgment that we judge ourselves is, you know, I'm not, I'm here. I want to be here. And how do I get there? But right. a lot of times we, when we go into a synagogue, we feel it's like, a, it's like a, it's like a dirty judgment or like a guilt. And that's, that shouldn't be the case. You should. And, and I, I mean, this is a lesson that made me so comfortable in the beginning is I didn't grow up, you know, observing at all. And and so I would feel very judged in a negative sense when I'd go into a conservative shul or an orthodox shul. I felt they were looking right. at me and it's a bad thing. But then once you realize, you know, like, no, I want, it's like when you go into a gym and everyone there is like jacked, you're going to lift a little bit more. And, and right. that's not to say, you know, whatever it is, but, but, but finding yourself in a community that's going to push you is healthy. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're less, less of a Jew or less of a good person. That, that's, I think, a very important first step you said. Right, yeah. The second idea is this idea of you taking personal responsibility for your spirituality, which right. I think that a lot of Jews have lost that. And it's like the rabbi give a good, good, you know, good drusha today. And it's like, right. it's, that's, what about you and God? It's like, I, I don't know where me and God are. Like, it's, it's up to the rabbi. How did you find, how do you find either do you, when you advise people or for yourself personally, how do you find the most effective way of taking responsibility for your spirituality? Um, well, once again, we don't need to rewrite the book because we have uh, 613 commandments. Uh, it sounds like a lot. We can only do about half of them these days. So it's really not so many, but they are like, I describe them as Pac-Man, the, the game Pac-Man, when you uh, turn yellow and you can eat anything. Right? They just, they, they're like emunah pellets. They, they give you faith. They build you. 
and they render you invincible, but you got to take them on. You got to do them one at a time. And, and you feel like an idiot at first. You're trying to read the Siddur, the prayer book, and all you remember from your bar mitzvah is maybe the Shema and the Ahavta, and you're looking at like 40 pages of, of the, the morning service, and you're it's like, true, but I don't know which one you're reading. <laughs> like, like right. it ain't going to happen, man. No, right. it can happen, but you've got to start. You've got to start somewhere. You start small. You don't bite off the whole enchilada in one sitting. And, so, and I, think, I think that's another important point that, that you're making that, that people might, might miss is you can learn a lot of theory, but the, the, the big differentiator between what we do as Jews and having mitzvot is that the actions themselves are going to increase your connection. And it's not just about getting a PhD or going to a couple seminars, you know, like, and it's an interesting thing. And, and, and this is just kind of like materializing as, as, as we're speaking. It's like people are finding meditation so helpful now yeah. for towards mindfulness. And the interesting thing is maybe because that's something you actually have to do. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. And I think Heschel said it well when he said Judaism is not about a leap of action or leap of faith. It's about a leap of action. So, um, and meditation is an interesting thing. Meditation is important, but I have a friend who I write about in the book who uh, became a guru and moved to India. And then he be started his commune in Baja, California, so he could surf, you know, a man after my own heart. And then he realized all this meditation, I could just be doing mitzvahs. I could just be helping people. I could be teaching them about Shabbat or teaching them how to put on tefillin or teaching them how to read Hebrew. And that was so much more real and valid in terms of personal growth. And that's for Jews. You know, it's a very unique channel we have in our growth. So, so maybe speak to that a little bit, because I think of not to, not to be, uh, I don't know, I'm insensitive, but I would venture to say the Jews have a tremendous um, breadth of knowledge when it comes to all of the different. Gonna... There's a little creature on your shoulder. I have to edit that one out. <laughs> I'm using it here. I'm, can you close the other one? Ask mommy. It was, it was on, uh, I don't know. Close one. Can you close the other one? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> can you close it? Seriously, I, I'm seeing you too. Tell me. Okay. Love you. Send her, to my send her to my recording studio. Exactly. Uh, okay. well, I'll help. I'll put her to work. Thank you. All <laughs> yeah. right. So, so back to, um, okay. So I'm just going to start fresh and we'll, we'll cut it clean. Um, so one of the things is the Jews have so much knowledge about, you know, we are kind of pioneers of communism and major religions of the world and all kinds of alternative ideology. Is there a, a value? If you could tell someone that's spiritually enlightened or on a spiritual path, why should they check out Again, let's just call it spade a spade, like the Judaism of the Torah. You keep like referencing this, and it's like that's three thousand years old. Did we didn't we come up with something more unique in the last three thousand years? Um, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. It's amazing. I, I, my friend David Sachs was pointing out that all scientific revolutions eventually come to a dead end. Like people thought that metallurgy, you could turn things into gold. No, you can't. They thought the earth was flat. They pursued that for a long time. 
They thought that their sun revolved around the earth. Mm, no, nah, didn't work. Anyway, we tried a bunch of dead ends in our research, but 3,000 years of Jewish scholarship has been unabated continuously with the greatest geniuses in the world debating and focusing on how to parse this text. So what a resource. It's all in English now. I mean, we really have no excuses. It's all in English and it's all online. So we have tremendous resources. One issue that you bring up, um, I don't know if you were going there, but that's where I thought you were going, is it's sort of politically incorrect to say that we have these resources. Um, and I opened my book by addressing that. You know, Tevya and Fiddler on the Roof said, God, couldn't you just choose someone else once in a while? Because with that chosenness, if you will, um, came a lot of suffering and a lot of hardship. And we're guaranteed in the Torah that we will wander the nations, we'll be few in number, there will be anti-Semitism, and we can't run away. And still in the year 2019, 5780, all our kids still come to the Torah and say, and you chose us from all peoples of the world. So the fact is we do have something. The world looks at it and says, well, I don't know what those Jews got, but you know, they seem to control all the banks or whatever they're, um, however they, they, they want to construe that. But we do have something that is interesting. It's a drive towards godliness. And we can make it go away by, you know, filling our heads with uh, academics or chemical uh, substances. substances to get us out of reality or binge watch Netflix. Um, but we've still got something percolating inside of us. Jews can't stand by while their brothers are shedding blood. You just can't. We can't stand by when anyone in the world is suffering. We were slaves. We're reminded of that every day. Twice a day, we have to remember. We were slaves. We're commanded to remember that. Every Shabbat, every time we make Kiddush over wine, we're remembering that we were slaves. We were there too. And it's in our spiritual DNA. We have something that um, has, to, has to be flexed, a muscle that must be flexed when we see any suffering. We're totally, absolutely intolerant. So I just say in my book, hey, we've got it. Uh, Hitler didn't distinguish between Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. He didn't care if you didn't have a bar mitzvah. So you might as well learn what it is and, 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 and acquire joy from the experience. Um, amazing. Tell me a little bit more about music, how you use music to connect people, and... If, if a person doesn't have music in their spirituality, are they sort of missing something? Um, I have music because that's what God gave me, you know? Some people are great accountants. Some people are great botanists. Some people can cook up a mean supper. I, I make music. I woke up from my nap yesterday um, after at the end of Simchas Torah, with the brand new song. I mean, I, that happens to me yeah, in the middle it, of the night. It, honestly, it just pops in your head. Is that how it works? I, I have, and it's fully orchestrated. No way. Fully arranged. I'm hearing the song. 
In other words, it's not like I'm just hearing like a glimpse of a melody. I'm, he I'm hearing an entire song being sung to me. Slow down, slow down. You just hear the whole thing in your head? All the songs on my albums, the ones that actually make the cut, because I write thousands of songs, are the ones where I dreamed them. They are all dream songs. That's crazy. Those are the ones with the integrity that I'm excited about, that I want to develop. When was the first time that happened to you? Uh, it started happening when I think I was like five or six. Um, as a baby, I used to pound my head on the pillow in rhythm, and I would gnash my teeth like a drum kit. You know, I grew up on the Beatles and Led Zeppelin. This was just, you know. That's insane, really. So when I was seven, it was third, or third grade, uh, my teacher asked the students to write poetry for the first time. And lyrics, you know, okay, yeah, I can handle that job. And uh, my mom, who's a pianist, uh, tried to put my early poems to music. And uh, the way she tells the story, evidently I walked up to her at the piano, I said, mom, what are you doing? That's not how it goes. Wow. Because the poetry had melodies attached to it. I already knew what the, I knew what the band should be playing. That's nuts. And are, so when you have this like download, does, yeah. do, are you tweaking it? Like, are you hearing parts of it? Like, it's, it's just crazy because I've never heard anyone actually, like I've heard Karl Bach say that that happened and Rav Nachman says like that. But I, I didn't realize like, so it, it literally, it's not like a, a, a process. You'll just hear stuff and it'll be new. It'll be yours. Yeah, there's no, there's no real process in it. All I'm trying to do is not lose it. I'm trying to not lose it. So I'm trying to get it recorded. Um, it used to be with sheet music, and then it was with cassettes, and then it was with uh, an MP3 recorder, and now it's with my iPhone. Just whatever I got closest to me, I sing it in. I sing in what the bass line should be. I sing in the groove, like, or whatever the groove is, um, any violin parts, whatever, and then I go back to sleep. Nuts. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's a much more universal lesson than just for a musician, because I think that what one of the, one of the processes that I've been trying to get in line with is this idea that kind of who you are comes naturally and it's normal. And you just sort of, once you've kind of hit what's yours, you just have to get out of the way and maintain the integrity. And so that's a, that's, that's a crazy idea. Some people, you're right. It might not be music, but as long as you're trying to, I'm just, I'm just like comparing that to like, if I was going to try to write a song, it wouldn't, it's never come to me. You know what I'm saying? And like, it would be so much, and it's not to say that you can't grow and learn, but to a certain point, like trying to find that thing that can just kind of come out where what you're trying to do is maintain the integrity as opposed to build it, I think is a really fascinating way of kind of like clicking into your, your highest sense, I guess, your highest self. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, and yeah. That's it. I was just going to say, I had a client come in, um, as I do fairly regularly, without a, like a complete album. I run a recording studio, as you can see from my studio here. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my day job, while I'm not on the road, is producing albums for people. And sometimes I have clients that don't have quite a complete vision. Like, they know they want to record an album, and they've got a song or two, but they need a dozen of them. And they, um, So I'm often in the business of fleshing out their album. And so they'll show me like lyrical snippets and it's up to me to look at the lyric and hear what it should sound like. Wow. So, so, but that's just how I process. And I really believe everybody's got their thing. 
And, uh, you know, this, this was my thing. I like writing. I like making music. And uh, as I was saying nine years ago, when this guy talked to me on the elliptical trainer and said, would you do something instead of just talking about it? Um, I started with a discipline of one day a month. I'm going to write a 2,500 word chapter. Mm. And it took nine years. How does, it, was, how does it feel being on the other side of it? Um, it's, um, it's wonderful and scary all at the same time. It's a tremendous accomplishment. Um, and I don't treat it lightly. Um, but once you bring something like this into the world, it's uh, a full-time job to get it into the world properly. And I just feel a, a sense of cognitive dissonance to have spent nine years working on something and then just having it sit on the bookshelf. So, um, you know, so I've hired a publicist. I've got a social media person. Um, I'm still running my recording studio and touring. So I don't have so much time to be doing the marketing, but that's what I have to do. So, you know, so here I am, you know. It's outstanding. Um, just, just as a, 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 few, a few last questions. Sure. Who, who do you find in the, in the music world either today or let's go back a couple of decades, you know, who do you find to be the most, I don't know, who, who like either the most genius or the most moving, like in terms of the, the people that influence you and are primarily drive. I, I know that a lot of it comes to your head, but do you find your influences are more from a Jewish world or are they more from the broader world? And if so, like who and where do they come from? Um, I think my earliest influences were like uh, musical theater, uh, the Hasidic song festivals, the music that I heard in the synagogue, and then of course the rock and roll on the radio, um, which eventually became jazz as I got into jazz in my high school years. And then I wound up going to Berklee College of Music in Boston, which was like all jazz all the time. So, uh, you know, just today driving around town, um, running errands, I had Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony in my mind. Why that? I don't know. But it was on eight track tape when I was a kid playing in the family station wagon. Tonight I'm going to see The Who at the Hollywood Bowl. You know, who's next? One of the greatest albums of all time. I just want to hear Roger Dalty scream and Pete Townshend do windmills with his guitar. I know they're not going to sound like they used to, um, but they're playing with a full symphony orchestra. Um, I'm friends with some of the people that are playing with them. Uh, Zach Starkey, Ringo's son, is on drums. Wow. Simon, Pete's uh, son, is on bass. You know, it's just going to be like a homecoming thing. I'm excited to see it. I saw Elton John last week at the Greek Theater. I have a lot of musical heroes. Elton John did a tribute album to Leon Russell a few years back because he recognized that Leon Russell gave him a lot of his piano chops. Well, Elton John gave me a lot of my piano chops. You got to do a tribute between, album. Between Elton John, Billy Joel, and Stevie. Yeah. You know, when, I, when my fingers hit the ivory, as you can see, I'm playing <laughs> right here. That's, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about what, how, did they, how did their fingers do it and, and whatever. So, yeah, I have a lot of musical influences, and um, it all creates some sort of stew that I guess I'm drawing from. That's amazing. I love that. that you know, I, I, I love the messages, and I think they're, they're very important. I also love hearing you describe the creative process. I, I find that fascinating, and it's, and it's, it's really cool. 
Um, okay, so Sam Glazer, the book is The Joy of Judaism. Tell me, tell me more how people find that, find you, follow you, find the book, etc. So uh, I am uh, sam.glazer on Instagram. Uh, my website samglazer.com. Uh, the book is uh, joyofjudaism.com. And the best way to buy it right now is just to go to Amazon and do a search for The Joy of Judaism, and you'll see it. Absolutely. And uh, buy them for friends. Absolutely. And uh, give them for Hanukkah presents and hostess gifts and whatever, because it's a gift that I really believe will keep on giving. Amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really, it's been a fun. There you have it, folks, another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, we have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.